Hey everybody, welcome to Faithbrook Church. My name is Mike. I am the Connections Pastor here on staff. I love that we get to worship here both on-site and online. Hey, if you are a guest joining in with us, thanks so much for taking time out of your weekend to join in. In fact, I wanna encourage you to pull out your mobile device and go to faithbrook.church forward slash guest. Or for those of you on site, why don't you go ahead and reach in the seat back in front of you and grab one of these blue connection cards. Go and fill it out and at the end of the service, drop it off into the giving box as you leave. Now for every connection card we receive, two things happen. One, we donate $5 to Cross Food Shelf, and this is just a small way in which we hope to make a big impact in our local community. And second, I would love the opportunity to follow up with you and thank you for joining in this weekend. So I look forward to making that donation and meeting you. But we have a lot to celebrate around here. In fact, last month, we partnered with Nazarene Compassionate Ministries to help raise funds to support churches and pastors who are taking in Ukrainian refugees and their families. Well, Faithbrook, you raised over $5,200 in support. I am so stoked and thank you for your heart and your generosity to see to it that not only do we live out our mission to love God and to love people and to journey together here locally, but globally as well. So thank you so much for partnering with Nazarene Compassionate Ministries to see to it that we can make a huge impact. Well, in addition, on April 17th, we have our Easter services. This is a time we celebrate as a church the resurrection of Jesus. We're having services at both 9 and 10.30, and kids' ministries areas will be open for both services. Also, there'll be kids' activities happening on the lawn after both services, and there's also gonna be a photo booth as well. So as I extend the invite to you and your family, I want to encourage you to invite someone as well. In fact, as you leave the worship center today, we will be able to hand you an invite card so that you have the opportunity to invite someone. So I look forward to celebrating with you on Easter and also meeting the person you bring as well. Well, in just a few moments, we're gonna hear from our lead pastor, Jim Comfort, as we kick off our brand new series. Man, you guys really stepped up and gave so generously to the, the Ukrainian refugees. Way to go, let's give each other a hand, right? Amen, that's a great thing. Uh, $5,200, awesome. I don't know about you, but I've been watching the news and I've just been praying back uh, the, the evil and the people that just um, wrapped their arms around these refugees. It's just a worldwide catastrophe that uh, God is asking us all to just step up and pray and help. So way to go, Faithbrook people. So glad that you're here worshiping with us today. I'm Pastor Jim. Maybe you're watching us online. Maybe this is the first time, second time. Welcome to Faith Brook. I think we're all getting excited that uh, it is April, right? Uh, there's hope that spring will come about, and uh, we're getting excited about that. You know, April is a special month for Minnesotans because we're, we're just hoping that summer is around the corner. Uh, but also, April holds one of the most important weeks of the year, especially for Christians, and that is the Holy Week where we think about uh, Good Friday and then, of course, Easter, his resurrection. That's really our backbone of our, our, our belief uh, in Christ himself. Uh, by the way, I want to invite you to a Good Friday experience here uh, at Faithbrook from 6 to 8 that Friday. We're going to have a self-guided type of a worship 
where uh, you can take you and your family and just kind of walk around with different stations and, and reflect and think about um, Christ and the things that he went through. Uh, more information will be coming in those uh, days. Well, have you ever had uh, the, the tender time where you had to say goodbye to some loved ones, like someone was moving away? Maybe you moved away from your parents or some really good friends or maybe you had a child that left for college or left for the military, and there's something special about those last couple of days where you know there's going to be a, a time where there's a departure. Uh, you might not see each other physically for a very long time. And so what you say is so important. Uh, and then with those activities, those last in activities are so important. And that's where we're kind of going this these next two weeks here at Faithbrook as we look at our, our series called No Greater Love and just Christ, his love for us, and what did he have to say in those last moments, those last days with his disciple. Now, you might not be a, a totally convinced believer in Christ. You might just be investigating. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're just kind of showing up with, with a friend. And I just want to encourage you to listen in on these weighty words that Christ if you had only a couple days with your, your best friends, what would you say? Uh, those words, those actions would be so important. So if you're wondering uh, what Christ would say, uh, I, I think you'll find out that there are some very profound things that he wants us all to learn about his great love. Well, when we look at Christ's words, we're fortunate to have the, the recordings and the documentations of his, his followers, his closest uh, disciples, if you will, Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke and John, these wrote to this, his account. And so half of the, the this, this gospels are really about the, the final week of Christ, if you believe it or not. He did so many profound things and teachings that they wrote a lot in the gospels of this last week. It was his last days before he would die and eventually be gone. So I want to turn your attention this morning uh, just in the middle of the Gospel of John, I particularly love the Gospel of John. It has a lot of symbolism. John kind of writes to the Jewish mind. It's very kind of poetic and, and a beautiful writing. It's not comprehensive, but it's a beautiful thing. In fact, in the middle of Ju John, he writes about the epic miracle of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. I mean, that was a huge deal. I mean, for two and a half years, Jesus been uh, preaching and teaching and, and doing miracles, but uh, this one, everyone knew who Lazarus was. People were excited. People started believing that this Jesus from Nazareth might actually be the Jewish Messiah. He actually might be from, from God, and, and so uh, there's a, a lot of buzz in the area. Now, at the same time, the religious hierarchy, the, the Pharisees, Man, they are struggling with this because Jesus is becoming a disruptor. Uh, Jesus is coming, coming and saying, no, your salvation to be right with God is not going to be coming down by the local synagogue and following all the, the laws to appease God. It's going to be by coming through me. There, no one can come to the Father except through me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the light. And it's, the Pharisees were really struggling with this. Well, after... Lazarus is raised in John 11. People are all excited, but Jesus is not super excited because something is heavy on his heart. And what is heavy is on his heart 
is his eventual crucifixion on the cross. And so he's kind of toning it down because he understands the ultimate reason why he's come is not to just um, make everyone's life happy or even do miracles. Ultimately, his reason for coming is to die for our sins, to be a sin offering for the penalties we have um, uh, acted out on. And this is all driven by his love, his great love, his passion. So in chapter 12, we catch up to that famous week of, of Passover, um, the triumphal entry as Jesus coming in on a donkey. Um, we usually celebrate this the week before Easter, but today we're going to bring it up because it just kind of coincides in the chapters of John. It says the next day and the great crowd that had come from the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him and shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. So everyone is there at this festival. This is the Passover. Uh, this was a yearly ritual for all the Jews would come to the holy city of Jerusalem. And there they would celebrate what God did for their ancestors a thousand years ago under Moses when he helped deliver them through the Red Sea from the bondage of Egypt. It was a big deal. So everyone's there. Everyone's kind of speaking about uh, Jesus. The Pharisees are over there like, we don't like Jesus, right? And all of a sudden, he starts coming in, and people started uh, getting out there and with palm branches saying, Hosanna, blessed is he. And he is the king of Israel. Now, when they say king of Israel, they're all like, oh, man, this guy can be our Messiah, and he can be our political savior to bring us back to prominence over those oppressive Jews. There he is. But Jesus doesn't embrace this. In fact, Jesus tried to kinds of retreats because Jesus starts shifting his ministry from public ministry into more of a private ministry, especially with his disciples. Because Jesus knows what's before him. By the end of the week, he's going to be dead on a cross. And he must communicate what is in his heart. And if these disciples do not get it, do not carry on his values and his teachings and what it looks like to be a Christ follower, he has failed. And his impending death would cast a long shadow on every word, every action. It's kind of like those goodbye moments. Those last couple of times you meet with loved ones before they depart. What do you say? What do we need to learn? Now, over in the Gospel of, of Matthew, we see that Jesus is also kind of frustrated because he's worried that his disciples have not caught on to the deep meanings of being a Christ follower or a Christian. We see Matthew's account, it's more expansive of little things that are bugging Jesus, like the lack of their confidence and power to, to heal and to, and to um, preach. Uh, they are not accepting uh, any time he talks about his crucifixion or his impending death. They didn't want to hear anything about it. You must be wrong. We don't want to accept that at all. He, he overhears them arguing who's the greatest, right? Who outranks who? And who's going to be set up in the, in the kingdom of God? And this is bugging him. Anytime they come around Sumerians, they still are very prejudiced against Sumerians. And he realizes they need a deeper work. They got to go deeper. They have to understand. He only has a couple days, a couple of hours. Something has to change in their hearts. They just can't pretend. They just can't be kind of uh, surfacey believers. They have to go deep. They have to grab who he is in his spirit. 
to be fully dedicated, surrendered, empowered by his spirit followers of Christ. So he has to say something. So we see in John 12, some very challenging words. And so he drops this on him right here. The hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Now, the disciples are like, well, that's interesting. We kind of understand that, right? They all kind of grew up agriculturally, right? They understand if, if they're going to have a harvest and the feed their their family, then there has to be a sacrifice of the seed. It's, it's going away. It's going to be buried, right? And, and, but they're not connecting the dots, but Jesus is connecting it. Jesus is hoping that they're going to connect it because Jesus understands something has to die. Something has to pay the price for sin. See, Jesus is also God, the, the Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And from the, from the beginning, for them there was never a beginning, they created earth and they created humanity. And, and they set up some parameters and spiritual uh, foundations that there would be a right and wrong. Uh, man, God so loved the world that he, 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 he created a beautiful world, uh, nature and environment and love and relationships and laughter and the arts and et cetera. But he says, man, I, I, I want you to enjoy all that, but I want you to follow me. I want you to put me first, and I don't want you to be hurting your, your fellow man. And, and let's just start with the Ten Commandments. Can, can you do that? And if you cross those lines and you break those commandments, then there has to be a penalty there has to be a cost associated with that. The Apostle Paul tried to explain this in Romans. Romans 6, he says, For the punishment of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. The punishment of sin is death, what he's talking about. See, that there has to be a, um, a consequence for our, our offense. Uh, we, we see that it's civilly. You break the law, then there there's, could be jail time or there's going to be a fine. In God's mind, in God's ways, there's, there's a penalty that has to be paid. And the cross was going to be the great price for us, which we should have been on the cross. I appreciate what Max Locato said. He says, the cross is where God forgave his children without lowering his standards. See, the standard is there's is a price to be paid. Um, at the end of the life, there's a price to be paid. At the end of our life, we're going to come before a holy God. He's going to ask us, what did we do with his gift? Did we receive that? Did we live for him? Or, or, or did we just kind of blow that off? And one of the things that's going to happen is that our body will waste away and, and fail, but our soul will live on. That's the difference between an animal and a human. We have a soul. We have a conscience. And that soul will live on in eternity. And the, Jesus spoke about the damnation of hell. But he also spoke about heaven and paradise. And today we, we live in this time where we can receive his gift. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. If not, and we have to understand that there is a, a price to pay, a, a hell if you will. So many times we, we lower our, our belief of this eternal damnation. The, the God's, the God, God's not going to really uh, care, right? He, he don't send anyone to, to hell. Uh, why does he send people to hell? Well, God doesn't send anyone to hell. We do. See, his holiness demands a response to sin. If he's truly loving, if he's truly holy, if he's truly divine, and you hurt another human being, and you stand before God, God's going to say, well, that's okay, no big deal. You damage someone, I, I'm just as a good guy, go, go ahead. No. 
That's not right. And his holiness and love says there's accountability for your offense. And if you, and if you offend God and say, I don't care about you, I'm just going to live my life. And we stand before him. Oh, I'm just this big fuzzy uh, grandfather in heaven. No problem. No, we're going to face a holy God. But meantime, he gives us a gift of, of grace and salvation that would come from Jesus. Jesus would have to pay the price on the cross. He would be, have to be hell on the cross. We deserved it, but he was willing to take it. And we have a chance to receive that. Reminds me of a story of a young a law student that was studying. He went to the beach one day. He was trying to study to be a lawyer, maybe eventually be a judge one day. And, and he hears this person out in the surf uh, yelling and screaming. They're, they're, they're drowning. He needs help. He realizes he's the only one around and he's got to go get this guy. So he drops his books. He runs out to the, the waves and he pulls this guy in from drowning. He saved his life. They go on, on their merry way and the, and the law student eventually becomes a lawyer. And eventually, 20 years later, he, he's a judge. Now, here's a, a critical criminal case before him. The evidence is in, and this, this criminal sitting there in his, his room, he, he's guilty. Now it's up to the judge to pass sentence, and it's going to be a serious sentence. Where the criminal is worried, he's looking at the judge, he's going to have to face the judge, and he starts looking at that judge more and realizes that he might know this guy. It, the, the, the judge looks familiar, and he starts putting it together, and he's realized, hey, I think that judge 20 years ago was that kid who was on the beach who pulled me out of the surf. He saved my life, and now he, he, he's the judge. And so as the judge called him forward and said, sir, you're going to be sentenced, uh, the, the criminal went for him and says, judge, 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 do you know who I am? Do you, do you remember me? He starts pulling back his hair. He says, remember, I think it was like 20 years ago. You, you were the kid on the beach that I was drowning, and you came and saved my life. And he says, judge, you saved my life back then. Will you save my life now? You hold my my life in your hands. And the judge looked at the criminal and said, back then I was your savior. Today I am your judge. My friends, right now Jesus is our savior. But the moment we pass on, we're going to face him as our judge. And God so loved us. He says, I don't want anyone to have eternal damnation. I will make a way that I will pay the price. I will be the sin offering. Something has to be paid for our offense. And Jesus would be willing to do that. He would be the seed that would go into the ground. And he would literally go into the ground and be buried in the grave for three days that we could have life that we could be transformed, that the, our family and our life and it could be new in him, but it would be his sacrifice. That's how much he loved us. That's why it's no greater love. The late, great Billy Graham tried to communicate this well when he said God proved his love on the cross. When Christ hung and bled and died, it was God saying to the world, you and me, I love you. My friends, hopefully this stuns us. This reminds us. This gives us pause, hopefully, to say, oh, yes, that's right. I don't deserve his grace, but he was willing to, to go on the cross for my sins. This hopefully should change us. Hopefully it translates into every day, our soul, our perspective, our life, that his love matters. It can transform us. Now, Jesus realizes these guys are probably not getting it. And so the next thing he says in, in John 12, he says, anyone who loves a life will lose it, while anyone who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, 
and where I am. Now remember, this, this is only a couple of hours, a couple of days before he's lit. They, they have to get this. Where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Most of the time, we are serving ourselves. Most of the time, these disciples were serving themselves. And Jesus says, there's got to be a trade-off. You've got to come to a point where, where you become second. You become third. He is the word hates to, to earn and to have life. And if, anyone, if anyone's sitting there saying, no, I want to keep my life. I want to be first in my life. Then there's going to be a consequence to that. This is a serious challenging uh, set of words. But if it's true that there's no greater love, what we do with the cross, what we do with his love should break us. It should confront us. It, it should transform us. Walter Chantry said, as Christ struggled up Calvary's hill and bled upon it, his aim was to eradicate self-love and implant the love of God in the hearts of man. One can only increase as the other decreases. It's not, he's not saying that we should just hate ourselves, that who's going to be the, the top leader in our life, the Lord of our life, that somehow we got to lower ourselves and that God increases. One or the other is going to be the boss, the leader of our life. And if Christ paid such a high price on the cross and we continue to battle that, it was worth nothing. And so Jesus knows this. It has to change us. And so the countdown is on. Now we're in chapter 13. It's coming to the Last Supper. He only has a couple more hours. He knows he's going to be betrayed. And these guys seem to be fumbling around and not really getting it. They just want to kind of play a Christian life. And so now he says, man, I not only need to tell them, i got to show them. So here we come to what we call the, the Last Supper. Jesus reserves a very um, personal, nice banquet. Uh, most of the Jewish families would do that for this, this Passover. It was very custom as they walked in there, just like maybe in America today, if we, we rented out a banquet hall, there would be some attendants there or, or some servants there. And of course, they didn't have shoes and there was always grime and dust. And so in these places, it was custom for someone to take time, a servant, and to uh, uh, wash the feet so the floor didn't get all dirty with grime and, and dirt and things. Well, there was an attendant there. We're not sure if, if Jesus planned on that or, or just happened, but Jesus took the initiative. When everybody's walking around their grimy feet, or, well, well, where's the attendant? This is kind of icky, right? Jesus goes over and he gets the basin of water. Uh, John uh, wrote it this way. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. All right? He, he knows he's done his business, he's, but he's returning. This is it. I got to show these guys. They got to carry on the message of Christ. Do they have it deep in their heart? So he gets up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. The, the scriptures tell us that this was a very awkward moment. He, he was the honored guest, and the honored guest is the one that's doing the grimy job. Are you kidding me? And they're all kind of backing up like, what are you doing? Christ, you're, you're the Messiah. You're on your hands and knees. And, and can you imagine uh, cleaning dirty, smelly feet? Some of them are refusing. But what was Jesus doing? Jesus was conveying this radical love that he has for them, but he also wants that radical love to live in us. 
that we love him supremely and that oozes out into our everyday life as we see people and we, we minister to people and um, interact with people. And so he, he gets this action done. Peter uh, uh, um, eventually says, yes, wash my feet. But Jesus drops in this question that's so important for them and us today. Do you understand what I've done for you? Do you understand what I've done for you? Now, on the surface, like, yeah, you cleaned our feet, right? But it was much deeper to Jesus than that. He realized in just a couple of hours, Judas was going to betray him. And he would be arrested and falsely accused and come under the, the whip and accusation eventually on the cross. Do you understand what I've done for you? I've been traveling for three years. I'm proclaiming that I am the son of God. I've tried to model for you and, and prove, backed it up with miracles. Do you guys get it enough that I can leave you, that I can count on you to carry on the way of Christianity? Are you authentic enough and surrendered enough and moldable enough in my life? Do you understand that? So many times we just kind of live in a part-time pseudo-religious, traditional Christianity in our life. And it's like Christ speaking to us. I need you to move closer. I'm going to back it up by the, the cross, but I need you to understand. Kind of reminds me of a, a bride and groom getting ready um, for a wedding in, in their marriage. Uh, usually the, the bride is so giddy about the, the ceremony and working so hard. And usually the groom is kind of aloof, right? They're just like, well, honey, just tell me when to show up, where to stand, right? But don't, don't uh, you know, I don't want to miss the party and the reception. I'm all down with that, right? And I really like the honeymoon and all the benefits of marriage and I love you and all this kind of stuff. But the bride usually is so intense and the groom can easily miss the heart of the bride. The groom can easily miss the, the, the ceremony and the pageantry and the essence of that marriage starting in that ceremony beyond. And that's kind of how we see Christianity. We want all the benefits. God, if I'm in trouble, I want you to bail me out. And God, I, I need you to help me and, and provide the, this and bless me. But when it comes to sacrifice, when it comes to really engage in a deeper way, I'm not sure. And so Jesus tried to use these profound words and actions to get across what he wanted from the disciples. See, I would offer you this this morning. His greater love demands our greatest love. His greater love demands our greatest love. And the cross is asking for us, what do we do with it? Do we get it? Will we embrace him in a deeper point? Maybe this is making sense to you. Maybe you might admit to yourself, you know, I kind of have a surface relationship with Christ. Uh, I think sometimes people that do not follow Christ look at the church sometimes and just see the hypocrisy or, or the, the pseudo kind of level of Christianity. And they're like, man, you guys are not that dedicated. And the world is looking for Christians that, that would say, man, I'm all in. I'm going to be fully surrendered to him and, and allow his spirit to fill me completely and make a difference in this world. This is what Jesus was trying to convey to these, these gentlemen when he's on his knees and he's speaking to them in his last hours. And the cross begs us, compels us to live in a Christ-like way, a cross-like way. So maybe you're like me, he says, I, I want to live, love the greatest for God because his love demands that. What does that look like? Well, let me help you a little bit and give you three things that maybe that can help you live in a greater love for Christ. It kind of corresponds with our church mission and that is to love God, 
love people and journey together, kind of like the greatest commandments that Jesus taught, right? To love God. So here's what I'm challenging you to do. This week, would you give God one more hour a week? Or one more hour of worship by, by loving him. Some of you might have some kind of a prayer life or you've got the version Bible app and look at the, the, the scripture. Would you give him just one more hour this week until next Sunday? Maybe you can break it down to 10 minutes a day to give to God because you love him so much. And maybe that looks like when you're cleaning the house, you can put in some earphones and you can uh, listen to some praise and worship music. Uh, or you're on the treadmill or, or doing something where you're just listening and singing along and praying, just worshiping him. Maybe you can get on that YouVersion app and download a, a Good Friday um, Bible plan for 10 days just to look at the suffering that he went through. Could we give God 10 more minutes a day, one hour this week more than what we're giving to him to to show him and to love him supremely second of all is to to love people i think one of the greatest things we can do to serve people is at least somehow try to invite them to to listen in to have an audience with christ and one of the best ways is easter sunday that's why we want to provide for you a little invitation on on your way out that God, would you give me the courage to invite someone to love people so much that I'd be willing to risk it? Maybe it's getting your groceries at the grocery store or a coffee shop or a friend or neighbor or something. Just say, hey, if you don't have any place to worship on Easter, like to check out a church or something, we invite you to Faithbrook. Here's a little information. We've got two services. It's going to be a great day. Uh, that would be kind of risky. That would, might be a little awkward. But that's what Christ did for us. And then journey together. Sometimes I think Christ is looking for people who would be willing to, to take the towel in the basin, right? That's what he's trying to convey to his disciples. And, and that means it's going to cost us something. That means we've got to stop what we're doing. That's a, it might, might be awkward, our, our faith stretching to reach out to someone and journey with someone. Do you know anyone maybe that might need a phone call or a text or a check-in? I want you to pray and say, God, who in my sphere, or maybe I used to know, I haven't seen for a long time. We, we just went two years of pandemic, right? Maybe some people that used to attend this church, and what if they got a text from you? What if they got a note from you? Or just check in and see, hey, I haven't seen you for a long time. I just want you to know I was just thinking about you. I have a feeling that God's like, that's what I need my people to do. Just to befriend someone, to reach out. Hey, how are you doing? I care for you. I'd love to have you see your church, or maybe we can go grab coffee sometimes. That would just warm people's hearts, journeying together. Those three things. One more hour for God this week. One person that you could invite, and then find someone that you can journey with that just needs a little love, just a little bit of encouragement. You go out of your way and, and reach out to them. Now, in closing, we're going to, invite you to sing the song that talks about his amazing love. And at the end of it, we're going to take the, the elements together for really about the cross. And in this song, there's this line that says, and the power of cross changes. That's my prayer for myself. God, I want you to change. If you went all the way to the cross for me, I want you to change me. I want to be more authentic, more surrendered for you. And then we'll, we'll just take these elements together, praying that prayer, God, may your cross change us.